What's up, what's up, what's up? Today we have an interesting guest, someone that I've known for a handful, more than a handful of years, uh, that I am very excited to have on. And uh, we're going to let him give himself a little introduction. But the man of the hour here with Savon and I is Garrett Gravison. How are you doing today, sir? Pretty good. Glad to be with you guys. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. We, uh, we greatly appreciate you coming on. So uh, let's start with uh, what are you doing right now? 2021. Uh, we just had the corona pandemic. <laughs> we just exactly. Had, exactly. We just had a very interesting year. Yeah. Um, tell us. What are, you, what are you getting into? What's happening? So for the past 20 years, I've had one huge goal in life um, that kind of came to focus that we'll talk about later, but I'd always wanted to go to every country in the world. So most people have grand, crazy ideas, big wow goals. That was always mine. Uh, I never thought it would probably happen, but as I got closer and closer and got to more and more countries, I realized I could probably pull this off. And so last year would have been the year that I was going to pull it off and the entire world shuts down because of COVID. So instead I ended up in Atlanta on my couch and adopted a dog named Clooney uh, and, and I fell eight countries short. Um, so there's 197 countries in the world. I'm at 189 right now. But uh, as the world starts to open up, I am going to attack this year with fervor. I have eight countries to go. And uh, the journey begins uh, in three days. I'm heading down to South America to try to finish this whole thing off. Man, <laughs> about to finish. And that is, how many countries are there in the world? So 197 is, is kind of the, the official number that everyone uses. Yeah. 197 based on? Yeah, so there's 193 that the United Nations uses. And then there's two kind of observer states. So you have um, the Vatican and Palestine and then two other um, countries that uh, don't have voting rights. So Taiwan and Kosovo. For a nerd like me, I kind of remember it, <laughs> but it's basically 193 UN number plus those four, which get you to 197 to make everyone happy. So of the 197, I've been to 189, so eight more to go. That's awesome. So uh, for anybody that's listening to this, I'm sure that they know you've written 10 Seconds of Insane Courage. You're a co-founder of Addo. Yep. You're a co-founder of Hero for Children that started with a very touching story that I have heard multiple <laughs> times and we are not going to give you. Go look it up on YouTube <laughs> yes. about Martin out in Kenya. And it is a very touching story spoken from the heart and delivered the exact same way every time I hear you say <laughs> it. But instead of us doing that, let's talk about a little bit of your why. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to talk about the dash statement. Yeah. I want to talk about that tombstone idea that you talked about in a previous interview um, from Harvard. Yeah. If you would, and if you'll allow me, yeah. I'm going to read off the direct quote. Absolutely. Now, the... The dash statement, um, Garrett talked about something, you know, a tombstone, there's two dates and a dash. What, what you live throughout your life is that dash. I'm going to read his aloud and then I kind of want to dive into some of the, yeah, some of the things here. <laughs> I want to live life out loud, bold, 10 seconds of insane courage at a time. Whether in the classroom or the boardroom, on my first date or my 50th wedding anniversary, I want to stand up for the people I believe in, stand out for the causes I care about, and always be the reason for her smile. <laughs> now, there's a big elephant in the room to start with, and Savon and I had a little bit of conversation about this prior to you getting here. 
There's no her right now. Well, so there has been, but we're figuring it out. So before I started this journey in writing a book, and we can get into why I did that, um, I had dated a, a girl. She was a flight attendant. Real shocker there, right? <laughs> a Brazilian flight attendant. Real shocker there, right? So it all like all things lined up in the world of like things I love, like exotic and travel and fun and fashion. And, uh, and so we dated and... Um, Sorry, keep going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you dated in what? Keep going. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. So so we dated, uh, and then we. I had the opportunity to go on a book tour. I didn't know what a book tour was. I didn't know what you're supposed to do on a book tour, and had the opportunity to go to 52 countries in 52 weeks, which was insane. And I said, let me let me see if I can get through this. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I will. Places everywhere from the Congo to you know Cape Town, South Africa. Mm -hmm. I survived. <laughs> I made it back. And, uh, and we just kind of said, hey, if, if you're still single, I'm still single. Like, let's see what happens when I get back. Well, clearly I'm still single after going to a country <laughs> a week for a year. Uh, and, and luckily she was still single as well. So we've just kind of um, reunited, uh, trying to figure it out. But the good thing is, again, a flight attendant, Brazilian, fun, fashionable, and a, and a heart full of gold. So um, we shall see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I think is amazing about that is because the point I brought up to James as I was listening to that quote yesterday yeah. was in my head. I was like, all right, for somebody who places such an emphasis and the importance on that, you know, always be the reason to make her smile. And at the time when I listened to it, not knowing if there was a her, right. I said to James, well, to some degree, that shows a lot of restraint and, um, and self self-knowledge of like, okay, if you were not yet in that place in your life because you are so on the go, everything is so much for a lot of people whose right. life may not be set up in a way that can handle it. It's yeah. it's kind of a selfless thing to know that there's this aspect of your life that some could say is almost a point that we're here, yeah. you know, because otherwise that's the only way we all got here right. to put that to the side until you could really approach it uh, in a way that was manageable and really fit your life and that you knew you could really devote the time and energy to. So, Kudos to you for, for having that restraint. Well, and we'll, we'll find out how, how it works, right? <laughs> but, but I think to your, like the greater point is I think relationships are at the end of the day, all that matter, right? And so, you know, I talk a lot about going to every country in the world and writing a book or these things. And it's like, that's great. But like the connection point with people yeah. are people. Yeah. And it's like, if I can, if I can connect with you on a, on a human level, on a personal level, on a, I've had doubts and insecurities, I've had hopes and dreams, I've had huge failures and big losses, and we all have. Like, to me, those are my favorite kind of people. And it's like, I've always just wanted to be that for others um, and, and hopefully find that for, you know, my relationship with whichever woman this may be uh, yeah. in the future. So, um Hopefully that's the next step. <laughs> Absolutely. No need to rush. <laughs> so with that, not knowing, uh, not knowing who her is at yeah. the moment, um, you're living. And something that, uh, that was very clear to me when we first met, because uh, you've said it and being in Heroes, you said, if it's not wow, it's not worth doing. And I would say that's something that you lived out and you continue to live out. What did that look like in 2020, though? Because 2020, life got flipped upside down. Yeah. Right. Our, our mental health seemed to be now an important part of life right. and people were starting to think about it. Yeah. So for me, it's you have to really be grounded in in what you love and what you're passionate about. And so for me, it has always been travel, getting to see the world and, and meet other people and other cultures and other places. And I 
I, to be honest, I got a lot of flack because, you know, and I sat down and I did the right thing. And I, I had traveled to uh, 12 countries the first 12 weeks of the year. So I left uh, January 5th. I got back March 5th. The world shut down. The United States shut down. I took it serious. I stayed at home. And for four months, over 100 days, I haven't been in one place for 100 days in the past five, six, seven years, right? And, but I did. I took it serious. But then I had to, I had to really say to myself, You've had this dream and this goal. You still have countries to go to, countries that are open, countries that are allowed to go to. You wear a mask, you take the shots, you get the COVID tests. But I remember distinctly, one of the countries that was on my list, one of the most difficult countries on my list was Afghanistan. And no matter who won the presidency, Trump or Biden, didn't matter, non-political, both parties agreed to take out all U.S. troops after the election. And I had friends and people kind of in the higher up saying, hey, if you want to do this Guinness Book of World Records idea, you better get there before the election's over. And I had to say to myself, you know what? It's a crazy idea. It may not be the safest idea. It may not be the easiest idea. But you know what? If it's not, well, it's not worth doing. <laughs> so I got myself on a plane. I convinced some other friends to go. We literally showed up in Afghanistan. We survived Afghanistan. We got out of Afghanistan, and I got back to Atlanta. <laughs> but I've always lived that truth, that journey, that passion, that that's who I am. And I can't hide it. I can't turn it down. I can't dim it. And I think whoever's listening to this is find that thing that you're so proud and passionate about and just turn up the volume on it because that's who you are and people love an authentic version of yourself. And for me, it's always been that, that one statement and that one statement only. If it's not wow, it's not worth doing. Mm. Interesting, interesting. So you said that um, during the pandemic, you had to take things seriously, yeah. you know, wearing masks, yep. getting COVID tests, uh, going from country to country. Did you face inside family or close friend circles, individuals that called you an idiot for doing what you were doing amidst a global pandemic? Oh, yeah. A, a, someone that, that sat in privilege, someone that shouldn't be allowed to do what they're doing because so many people had to isolate themselves. Did you face that? Sure, of course. I mean, I, I'm sure I lost friends, lost followers, lost fans, lost... Luckily, not family members, but uh, but friends for sure. I mean, you know, oh, you're so privileged. You can just jet set and go out there and do this. And it's like, no, no, I can't. Like, I, I graduated, started a, a nonprofit right out of college. I made $500 a month, month. That's $6,000 a year. The federal poverty level in the United States of America is $18,800. I didn't make $18,800 until three years out of college. I was like... And I was student body president. My, my first internship was in Hong Kong doing investment banking. I made that in one summer. I never made that in the first three years. I was like, I took so many chances and bet on myself, so many chances and bet on myself. It was only till our third company. Like, it took me three companies to ever figure out how to make a little bit of money that I saved and invested and always wanted to, to leverage that to create something that in my mind would be able to give me a chance to see the world, experience the world. And I was like, and I'm not going to run from that. I'm not going to be ashamed of that. And if you don't like that, I was like, I'm going to abide by the CDC. I'm going to abide by every law or every you know, governance. I will wear a mask. I got COVID tested nine times. 
I had COVID tested when I landed in Dubai, when I landed in Afghanistan, when I landed in Pakistan, when I went to Tulum, when I went to Jamaica. Like, I traveled during the pandemic. I did it respectfully. I did it safely. And at the end of the day, people didn't like it. And that's okay. I would rather have raving fans and huge enemies than everyone mediocre like me and say, eh, just another person on their, on their path. Because I think when you really go for it, like, like, the big, like the big people that we, at least for me, that we admire, they take a stand. And they believe in something truly and deeply. And it's going to offend some, and it's going to really create raving fans for others. And I just hope to be an example of one person that says, I don't have life figured out. I did have a big goal. And I sure as hell went for it. Was there anything in particular that got you from that point? I know you said you were traveling to get the start and then you slowed down. Yep. I'm assuming you picked back up after some period. Yeah. But what was it that went on or what internal revelations did you have that said, you know what? You know, fuck this. I'm going to go do <laughs> yeah. what I set out to do. Yeah. You know, so it's funny. I, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of helping other people. Like my favorite thing in life is like supporting friends, family, young entrepreneurs, like... And so I had, a, I had a friend of mine um, whose father passed away. He took a chance and traveled Africa with me to get me kind of in and out. Uh, some of these really dangerous, crazy, the Congo and Sierra Leone and these places you see in movies. And he had always wanted to write a book. And during the pandemic, it's, it's terrible. It's, you know, you're sitting at home and you're cramped and you don't know what to do. And the first country to open up to Americans was Mexico. And in Mexico, like every girl on Instagram wants to go to Tulum, right? <laughs> and so we're like, you know, like what's the deal with like Tulum? Like, you know, it's open. I'd never been there. And we literally found these huge villas because no one was traveling for pennies on the dollar. I mean, it was, you go on Airbnb, you could get a 10 bedroom place for you know, probably $20 a day. 10 bedrooms, $20 a day. And it was me and my friend, his name's Trey Humphreys, great guy. He's like, I want to write a book. I've never written a book. You're my only friend I know that's ever written a book. He's like, what would it look like, like to take a month, go down there? We can isolate down there, but we at least be in a 10 bedroom place next to the ocean and the beach. And, uh, and I was like, you know what? Like, absolutely. So I brought my laptop. He brought his. We worked on an outline for his book. He really went in pretty hard for six months, and uh, he just published his new book mm -hmm. at the end of last year. So I'm super, super proud of him. But it was that moment with that friend who said, you know what? We can't sit at home forever. Or if we do, would you rather be sitting at a home in Atlanta or a huge villa in Tulum, Mexico? I said, I'll take the Tulum option. <laughs> That's amazing. Even just demonstrating how you can arrive at your same quote unquote, you know, selfish or whatever personal goal through helping somebody else. So if anybody gives you any flag for it, just be like, hey, I helped get a book done. Yeah, for sure, for sure. In all the countries that you've that you've traveled to, um, you have a, a, a story uh, going to Kenya mm -hmm. and how Hero for Children came about. Um, what is your I would say that's probably one of your most pivotal stories because that is that is a cornerstone to how you got to where you are now. What would you say your second most pivotal is? So I was thinking about that. So I love history. Probably my favorite city in the world is Cape Town, South Africa. So here's a fun fact. So Nelson Mandela was in prison for 27 years. 18 of those 27, he was in prison in Robben Island. Uh, during his 18 years on Robben Island, he was allowed to have one visitor once a year for 30 minutes. After 27 years in prison, he gets out. Three years later, wins the Nobel Peace Prize. Four years later, becomes president of South Africa. 
When I was living in South Africa, I had the honor of speaking alongside his cellmate in Robben Island. His name was Ahmet Kathrada. And we spoke next to each other. I was sharing this idea of courage and saying courage next to the guy, Gerald Nelson Mandela. Um, and he shares this story, this pivotal story that I, I will remember forever. I think it's good for every single person because we can all take something from it. And he says, don't play marbles with diamonds. It's like, what does that mean? And he said, here in South Africa, there was a story of a, a you know, young kids in the street, uh, and they, if you play marbles, the way you do it is you draw a circle. These kids did this with their finger in the dirt, and you put like a big marble, so they had a rock. And then the idea is you shoot the big marble and try to knock the other ones out. And they were playing in the South African sun, and it was amazing until a visitor came, saw what these kids were doing, and was absolutely shocked. When he looked down, he saw they were actually playing marbles with diamonds. South Africa has some of the largest diamonds in the world. These kids didn't know. They didn't realize what they had. They didn't realize what they had in their hand. They didn't realize how important the thing that they had was. And he was like, for each and every one of us, we have something so important, and oftentimes we don't even realize what it is. It may take someone else seeing it, it may take someone else realizing it, but never let the fact go along that 1% that of your talent, something that you're so good at, 1% of yours, could be 100% of somebody else's. Like it may be so easy for you and so hard for somebody else. He's like, never allow yourself to play marbles with diamonds. And so my example of that, our diamonds in life are the things that, that people come to us and ask help for. They want advice on. They, they need our, our help with. And, and to us, it's easy. We give advice. We know it. it you know, for you guys, like creating a podcast, creating content, creating beautiful you know, imagery and photography and, and online presence and videos, and that to me, it's amazing. Those are your diamonds. I can't do that, nor do I even understand how or where to start. But to you guys, you may think, ah, oh, it's just another thing that I do along, along the journey or along the ride. And so when he said that, I just thought, you know, like, isn't it unfortunate that a lot of us go our entire lives playing marbles with diamonds and we never even realize it? That's powerful. That's very powerful. That's not what I was expecting to say. <laughs> no, no, that's amazing, though, because uh, that's such a poignant point, you know. Uh, I had this conversation with James a few weeks ago, but it was a thought that it just crossed my mind. Something spurred on, but it was, you know, you don't have to be the world expert to be the expert in somebody's world. Ooh. So, <laughs> write that down for me. <laughs> it's so true. It's so good. It's so true. And that's what Mandela's cellmate, I mean, he's like, every day, every day, every day. Can you imagine being in jail every day for 27 years and you got to soak up the wisdom of Mandela? his cellmate, and I, and I was fortunate enough to be at the right place at the right time to speak on the same stage as Mandela's cellmate. And to take that wisdom of marbles with diamonds and then be able to share that, like what a blessing. I mean, the, the man was filled with wisdom, obviously, but it's just like you said, it's like you don't have to be the best in the world, but you could be, you know, or whatever your, your quote was, it was like, and, and to me it's like, Something that's so easy for me could be so hard for someone else, but me giving of myself to someone else becomes their world, becomes what they need. It becomes that, the tipping point for them to, to head in the right direction in their future, as long as we're willing to, to step up and do that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. The three of us are, uh, I would say, all three in some form or fashion in the self-help industry, right? If you want to call it that, if you want to, sure. you know, distill it down to that. What would you say to someone that calls 
you, a charlatan or a grifter or someone that's hyping up emotions and, you know, self-fulfilling, running around, running around the countries um, for your benefit. Mm-hmm. What, what would you say to someone like that? Because there's a lot of haters out there and they're not oh, going sure, away. Sure, no. uh, and a lot of a lot of the opinions we don't really give a damn about. Yeah. You don't give a damn about. Savon doesn't either. But if someone was to call you a grifter or a charlatan and it was someone that was blood yeah. or someone that was very close to you. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, like they always say you don't build concrete statues for critics, right? So it's like the people that get concrete statues are the ones that put themselves out there. It's not the critics. Uh, and, and I would just say, you know, look at my record, look at my history, you know, like if, if all I had done was come out and try to be a speaker, maybe fair enough, but you know, I started, you know, UGA heroes in 2003, it's now 2021. That was 18 years ago. <laughs> like, like, you know, haters can hate, but like eight at some point, you know, is it five years, 10 years, 13 years, 15 years, 18 years? Like at some point that worked. And we've helped a lot of children and a lot of families and a lot of Christmas presents were given and summer camps were attended and colleges were, you know, were attended and, and mentors were provided. And not, not because I'm great, because I, I just wanted to rally other people and let them be great and let them provide the opportunities. And, and that's what Hero was. Same with Global Lead. Like we've sent thousands of students to countries they've never gone to. Started that in 2012. It's now 2021. That's nine years, nine years in the making. You know, it's like started Addo. You know, that's another seven, eight years in the making. Like at some point, it's and I think you know Gary V talks a lot about imposter syndrome. Listen, we're all going to face imposter syndrome. Like it's natural, it's normal, and the best people all face it. But it doesn't mean that you're an imposter just because you, you put yourself out there and you push and you travel or you write books. Who's to say who's the authority in any of this stuff? I was never supposed to start a charity. I didn't get, I mean, who the hell am I to start a charity? I was an economics major at UGA, not you know a, a you know, med student from Johns Hopkins or whatever. Like, who am I to start a study abroad? I don't have a PhD in anything. Who am I to start a leadership consulting firm? I don't have a PhD in but we did and they're still going and it's still working and it's still impacting people. And I think that, you know, everyone's going to have haters. Everyone. Like you want to start a podcast. You want to start a, a video series. You want to start, you know, a photography event company. You want to start. I mean, good God. Every time you start, you're pushing up mm-hmm. against the establishment. And for me, that's just been my norm. <laughs> like My entire life has been pushing up against some type of establishment, but being okay with it, being okay with it. And so I think as long as you know it's going to happen and you know there's going to be haters and they don't build concrete statues for critics, be all right with it and keep on going. Hell yeah. And with that, because I feel the reason James maybe brought that up is because lately the both of us have been experiencing a lot of people who just kind of, they are feeling that imposter syndrome or they're looking around and there is that interim time where you have an idea, you know, you're playing with it, you want to begin it, but... Then there's that, all right, what happens in between then and year 13, year 17, year 20? And so I think for a lot of people, if they don't really realize that so much can go on behind the scenes or somebody can have so many things happening, but not even really know what was the impetus or how it began. And so sometimes people uh, mistakenly associate the success or something that has benefited a lot of people with the wrong actual source of what really 
got that thing flowing yeah. and uh, and because of that they, they have doubt in themselves and what they can ultimately grow with a vision with the right people and with persistence sure. and so with that knowing that you've started these different organizations and effectively you know you've, you've kept that mantra of the wow and also <laughs> the same courage you're going to be you're going to be done with one of your big goals soon yeah. and these organizations seem to be doing fine you <laughs> could go off and ignore them and they would still sure. prosper right. what's next yeah, and, and I I am a big believer in relationships. So I what I hope's next, I hope I get married. I hope I have a family. I hope I'm the fun dad. I'm about to be an uncle in the next five months. I want to be the most fun uncle of all time. You know, I'm never going to stop traveling, stop starting, stop supporting. Like, I'm always going to support my friends. I'll probably always be entrepreneurial. I hope to always stand on stage and speak loud through a microphone and and. and share that insane courage message with individuals or a corporate courage message with companies because I think we need courage more than ever in, in, in corporate America and companies around the world right now. We need courageous brands. We need courageous teams. We need courageous companies. To me, I think courage is my forever kind of like North Star. How do I create that in others? I think wow's my motto, but I think courage is what I've been put on this earth to to hopefully share and instill um, in both myself, my friends, and others that don't know me. Uh, because I think, you know, I, and I talk a lot about in, in these you know corporate speeches or individual speeches or business consulting that I, I really think this next wave of leadership post-COVID has courage front and center. And we need it more than ever in our leaders. We need it more than ever in our business leaders, our political leaders, our civic leaders. And we need it in ourselves. And it is hard because we have these fears that stand in our way. And it's normal and it's natural to have these fears. But it's the courageous people that we love um, to rally and back and get behind and root for. Like really root for. Like I love when Elon was on his back and didn't know what was going to happen with SpaceX and didn't know what was going to happen with Tesla. And do I put money in one and not the other and it dies? Do I put money in both and, and let it roll and, and work 19 hours a day and sleep on my couch or sleep on my desk or sleep under my desk? Fuck yeah, he did. And he went for both of them. And now he's the one, two, three richest person in the world. And we root for those people. Because they go for it and they have the courage and we want them to win. And I want people to win like that too. Like win big, but have the courage to go for it. Would you say the modern entrepreneur is missing? Patience. Mm. Patience in? It just takes time. I mean, listen, I, I love day trading. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I ain't gonna lie. Like, I'm, I'm on this, you know, Bitcoin, crypto, you know, like what's happening, you know, with the you know, IPO the next time. Like, listen, I want to make money now. But I know that it took 18 years to have Hero on a, on a level where it's running itself. It took Global Lead a decade to have it going and running and have the right team. It took Addo, you know, almost a decade as well to have, you know, the systems, the processes, the things in place. And it's like, and I get it. Like I, I was just as hungry then as I am now. I wanted it just as bad tomorrow as I do today. But I think that when you really take a step back, when you, if you're really, really honest, it's uh, the founder of Chick-fil-A. So Truett Cathy, there's a famous, famous Chick-fil-A story where Chick-fil-A, you know, they were actually early in the days, they were getting beat by Boston Market. Boston Market was taking up a lot of money from private equity companies. They were building out super fast. They were getting all the market share. They were getting the best like land and they were actually beating Chick-fil-A. 
And so they said, hey, we've got to do something. We've got to do something. And so they said, hey, we're going to take on all this investment money. We're going like, to expand like crazy. We're going to like really, you know, go for it big time immediately. And Truett Cathy, calm, at the end of the board table, you know, with all the executives around him. He takes his fist and he's like, bam, 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 bam. He's like, we're going to get better before we get bigger. And if we get better, our customers will demand that we get bigger. <laughs> Case closed. And now Boston Market, <laughs> 20 years later, and Chick-fil-A, where we're at now, again, patience. Patience. Yeah. No, it's... it's Anytime I'll, because you know, that's a question that I often seek, you know, somebody's response to. And the number of times I'm hearing this damn patient, like, <laughs> and there must be something to it. And you don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. None of us want to hear it. I think a lot of times people are actually asking for it's like, what's going to get it to me now? Right, right, you right. Know? And so just that whole, there is something that just time can never, nothing can really beat it right. um, because of the perspective that it provides. And that's only my, you know, my brief life so far is just sometimes. The way that you can feel, just even that idea, just sleep on that idea. Yeah, you know, yeah. like that's being patient with making a decision, patient with finding the right life partner, right. patient with the right business partners, patient with the right locations. Because obviously, once again, you know, devil in the details, right. to get to where you're 10 years deep, 15, 20 years deep in something, a lot of decisions have to be made along the way. Right, right. When you're making them, <laughs> Ooh, it's like, look, do we do we go here next? I, I spent a year in Kenya, damn, do right. I go next door? Do I jump to the other side? Because even as I was trying to work around in my mind how you decided where to kind of how to structure your, your trips, sure. you know, like even that's something that is a lot of thought goes a into lot. it and then influences where you might go next. Like to me, in my head, I was kind of like joking to myself, like, damn, South America's the place you haven't finished. <laughs> I know, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. It's it all, you know, the the long game, right? Like, it's just the long game. And, and we don't want to hear it. We don't want to talk about it. It's not sexy. It doesn't make the headlines. But, I mean, Elon, I, we love Elon. Elon's, you know, fun and cool, and everyone wants to be Elon Musk now. But back in the day when he was at PayPal grinding with those guys and he, you know, yeah, it worked, but he was slaving away for, you know, decades at PayPal to get a paycheck and then a buyout. And then he immediately put his money into, into Tesla and SpaceX and went back to, he's like, if neither one of these things work, I got to borrow rent money for the next month, you know? And it's cool to like Elon now. But back in the day, he was working just as hard as we were. Yeah. And I, I think another way one could framework patience is uh, they say that the greatest force in the universe is compound interest. Mm. And that can only take place over time. And that's right there where patience plays. So I think in one's own life, their journey of entrepreneurship, relationships, whatever, you can only allow the compound gains of what is being done to take place. You only realize those fruits if one allows the patience. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree. And with that patience, uh, in a previous interview, you mentioned Gary V's clouds and dirt analogy. Mm -hmm. um, what is the number one thing you learn in the dirt that gives you gratitude as you're in the clouds? Mm. I think that I've learned that I, I can't do any of this alone. Like, you know, when, when you're in the dirt and you have to wear five hats or 10 hats or 20 or all the, how about all the hats, right? I mean, you guys know you're getting started. 
that like you want to find other scrappy people who are, who are willing to do that stuff with you, you know? And so I've been very fortunate. I have never started my own company. I've always co-founded companies, right? And in the dirt, I want someone right there with me. Like I want a partner in crime. I, I had a partner in crime at Hero. I had one at Global Lead. I had one at Addo. I hope to have one at my next venture, whatever it is, because it's like, it's tough in the dirt. Like there are so many lonely days, lonely nights, insecurities. You don't know what you're doing. This is natural. Like from a guy who looks like he made it on the, man, I'm telling you, there are so many nights from like, what am I doing? Like, I, I, none of this is going to work. Like, this is going to be a complete failure. I have no idea what I'm doing. But in the dirt, I, I realized, like, as long as you have someone there, they're with you. Like, someone willing to like, you know what, let's just roll up our sleeves. We're going to pour another cup of coffee. We're going to, you know, watch one more damn YouTube video to figure out how to do this thing. Or, you know, set up one more meeting or call one more client or do one more thing. It's like, you never know when that next one's going to hit. But I think doing it together in the dirt with somebody... Is, the, is my best advice for anybody at all because it is a lonely path. Entrepreneurship is a lonely path, but doing it with someone makes it a whole lot more fun, a whole lot better. And when you're talking about with someone inside the dirt, um, are you more talking about peer accountability or community or the convergence of both? Probably the both. I mean, I, I wish I could put it as elegantly as you did. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think accountability is absolutely needed. I think just more the community of it. Um, you know, as we've seen during this pandemic, I mean, you know, th there's so much, you know, mental health issues already. Yeah. Then you layer on a pandemic. Then you layer on that you're trying to be an entrepreneur during a pandemic with like, it's like, <laughs> I mean, how many times do I have to get like <laughs> hit in the face, man? It's yeah. like, give me a break, you know? And so I think just community, you know, like, and, and I would almost say like, check in on, on your strongest friends. Like the people that you think don't need it, they do. Like, like pick up your, I, I did this one. I told everyone in a speech one time, like pick up your phone, literally go to your contacts and just scroll. And then wherever it stops, send that person a text, make sure they're doing all right. Like, I love that because you don't know, sometimes the strongest people are only strong on the outside. They're trying to keep it together for everyone else. But really, they, they need someone to just say, hey, man, thinking about you, like, let's grab a coffee or at least a jump on a Zoom or a conversation. Just want to check in and see if I can be of service or help out. And I think the community piece is so missing in today's world, especially these young gun entrepreneurs. And I, I was there. I've been it. I, I get it. We think we can, we can tackle it alone, but very few of these things are ever done as one human being. It's really a, a team of people that kind of come together and do it. I'm glad that you bring up mental health. Um, let's talk about that as an, from an entrepreneur perspective, but also just from a male perspective. Yeah. There's three men in this room. Yep. Uh, and oftentimes we as men societally want to say, well, we're strong, stick our chest out, keep our chin up and keep our head down and we can keep moving. Um, in your journey on the countries, I'm sure some of them were lonely. Um, Most of them were lonely. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> um, what has kept you grounded? What has allowed you to stay focused on the goal at hand? And, you know, the answer that we're not looking for a textbook answer. No, no, no. Not that you have an outcome goal and you've got your process goals worked no. back. Mentally, what has kept you grounded? Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to be honest. I quit halfway through. So the, it was too much. You, you quit? I, I quit. So Africa has 54 countries. Um, fun fact, you end up on Jeopardy. Um, <laughs> 
So of the 54 countries, it's, it is hard, man. It is so hard. Like the visas are hard. The traveling's hard. The no roads are hard. The, the airports are hard. The bribes are hard. Like every, like it's, I mean, <laughs> I mean right? The bribes, are hard. the bribes are hard. It's like figuring out that in foreign currency and no language spoken. I'm like, God, 54 countries. I mean, it, 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 like, it broke me. It broke me. I came home. I couldn't do it. I mean, you can go from Kenya to Cape Town. So basically, if you split Africa in half, 27, 27, the Eastern Africa is pretty easy. West Africa? I'm like, you, you want to start the number one job in Liberia is to steal bags at the airport and rob you in a taxi. That's the number one job. And then Sierra Leone is literally where they filmed Blood Diamond with DiCaprio. That's the country next to it. I had to go through all of those. And, I, and I, it was too much. I couldn't do it. I, I did. I broke down. I didn't want to do it. I came home. And my buddy, Trey Humphreys, who later on, I went to Tulum as Sounds we started like this interview. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sounds like a comrade to me. He's a comrade, man. He's a, he's a ride or die kind of guy. He was like, man, he's like, of all people, of all people, you've had this idea of insane courage. He's like, this is not easy. This is going to take courage and insane courage. He's like, but he's like, instead of you giving up, what if I go with you? What if I become part of that story and help you ultimately get to your story? Again, in the dirt with somebody. Community. Community. And as dudes, now, man, I got, dude, I got this. I'm cool, man. I got, hell no, I was not. Like, I, I wanted the help. I sought the help. I, I seek help today. Like, I, I don't have it figured out. I don't know what my next career move is going to be. When I finish the eight countries, prob probably will write a book, maybe. Um, what happens after that? I'm open. I'm, I'm open-handed. I don't know. Is it scary? Absolutely. But I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay with saying, you know what? I'm ready for the next challenge. I'm ready for the next step. I don't have it figured out. It is scary. I did quit. I quit. And it took a friend to sit down with me and say, hey, we're going to finish the story, but I'll help you get there. And ever since then, funny enough, the Tulum, you know, uh, it's, it's always my, uh, and hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about my father, but one of the things my father always told me, as a, even when I was little, his motto in life was always trade I for you. Trade I for you. So simple. And he's like, instead of, I want to do this, I want to get this, I want to become this. He's like, life is much more enjoyable when you say, hey, how can I help you become this, you get this, you do this. He's like, if you can always try to remember to trade I for you, you'll get a lot further in life and you'll be a lot happier in life if you do that. And I've, I've hopefully my life's played that out. I, I've tried to do, I've tried to give and give and give, not because it's cool or strategy or what, because my dad taught me to do that. And it's funny because sometimes it comes back and it really helps you as well like my buddy that got me through Africa, and now I'm eight countries away. Community. Community. We've, we've seen a lot of back and forth, <laughs> Savon and I, where uh, we, we picked one another up along the, along the road, and we haven't even known each other that long. It's, uh, yeah. it's a beautiful thing. And it's the destruction of pride, right? And the, the pause and the step back that, okay, well, we like to think we're superhuman, and we, you know, we can do it all on our own, and we can do all these things, and... That's great. You can do a lot of things and you can do almost all these things, but you usually don't do them alone. Correct. Yeah. Very. That, that breaking point. Oh, you know, yeah. We've discussed just that whole idea of, 
a whole pack of wolves or the, the lone wolf is only left because the rest of the pack died. Right? <laughs> and that's the aggressive wolf. That's the mean wolf. You know, the rest, they're like, oh, we can go get this deal. We're going to go get human. You know, whatever. Right. And yeah, I think that's, that's, that's amazing, you know, to, to even admit, you know, <laughs> that there was a, a breaking point. Yeah, because dudes, we're not supposed to, I mean... And, and the thing is, from stage or on a book or on a podcast, everyone's so perfect and polished. Bullshit. No, you're not. Like, let, let's just keep it real. And no one ever does. And I'm like, if, if even that is a takeaway, they're like, it's tough. I broke. It took someone else helping me to finish this journey. And I'm proud that they did. And I'm happy that they did. And I'm not ashamed that they did. That's life. Like, we're going to break. We're going to fall. And hopefully someone's there to help us up and keep going. You mentioned something about your dad. Um, I I want to go into uh, father figures. I mm-hmm. want to go into death. I want to go into cancer. I want to go into uh, a few things and go much deeper than probably the majority of the, the interviews that you'll find, uh, that anyone out there will find <laughs> of, of what you're talking about. Um, talk to me about your father. Talk to us about your father. Yeah. Uh we never came from money, so he sold insurance first door to door, then for a company, then for a bigger company. Uh, mom, I get my personality from my mom, Frangie. She's the best, uh, <laughs> and uh, Frangie loves life on Instagram. I think is her, her handle. She just figured out Instagram. Um, but old man G, that's what we called him, and and he, I mean, literally trade I for you was was I, I said it earlier, but. He was the kind of guy that would, you know, give up, you know, time at the office, probably even promotions to come to my Little League baseball games. I was awful, by the way, like struck out. He'd still take me for ice cream. Tell me I was amazing. <laughs> no, I'm not. Like I play, I, I tried out a for trophy the, anyway. Yeah, huh? yeah, like I, 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 I uh, tried out for the freaking golf team, of course. Golf team four years in a row in high school, cut all four years in a row, like <laughs> Clearly, basketball, baseball, football was not even an option. So I'm like, at least golf, right? No, 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 no. I can't even, can't even make that. Dad's still proud of me. Dad's still proud of me. Um, but he was always there, super supportive. Um, again, we we didn't come from much financially, but I don't think we missed out on anything either. Uh, the love was there, the the family was there, and and he was there. You lost him, yeah. And it it changed a few things. It sparked a few things in your life. Um, talk to me about. How old were you when you lost your father? Uh, so 2013, 33. You were 33 when you lost your father. I was 16 when I lost my father. Can you go into your uh, your visceral reaction post-Havana after that trip with him when you lost him? Yeah, so we got down to the point where if you know anything about cancer, you have chemo and radiation, you end up losing your hair, and you become really weak, and then there gets to a point where the doctor says, and you know, and you have to talk about, death and its reality and quality of life and uh, I and so we um so as James and I both did a charity together helping quality of life care for kids with HIV and AIDS and with these children we would always say they may not live long lives but they live important ones and that's what matters and so with a month essentially left the doctor said give or take maybe a month, you may have six weeks, but now's the time to kind of have those last conversations, do those last things. And my dad, you know, we had, he had one more chemo treatment and he's like, what, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? He's like, let's get off this chemo. 
let's do one final father-son trip together that we never got to do because I always said I was going to do it, said I was going to do it, said I was going to do it. And he waited, 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 and it never got to happen. I said, fuck it. Let's go to Cuba. Like, guys trip, cigars, old classic cars, wind blowing through our hair. And I remember I, I brought this book um, that I got like at the bookstore. Someone told me, and I'm not kidding. I think the, it was like questions to ask your father um, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Fuck, I don't, I don't want to ask these, but I, I do want to ask them. <laughs> uh, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you want to, right? And it was, and it was one of those where it was like, you know, what, um, you know, what's your, you know, what's your favorite memory from our childhood? And it was this. And what would you tell uh, my kid, uh, your, your grandkid, uh, on his first day of school or her first day of school? Because chances are you're not going to be able to, to, to meet him or her. And I remember um, one of the questions was, what is your greatest accomplishment? And in Cuba, right there with me, he looks at me straight in the eye and he goes, you. He goes, you are my greatest accomplishment. And I just bawled. And I was like, what? Like, what a... Like, I don't even have the words for it. I was so happy. I was so sad. I was so emotional. I was so depleted. I was so excited that I could live out his legacy here on earth. And I was like, by God, if I'm his biggest accomplishment... I am going all the way for the rest of my life, like on 11, like, like not even 10, 11, right? Like, Uh and I'm going to inspire people and push people. And we may have haters and critics and people don't like, but like, damn it, man. Like I was given the good fortune to keep on going and he wasn't Mm -hmm. like, by God, if I'm going to sit on the sidelines, like I'm going to 11 and I'm going to bring as many people with me and have that insane courage to do the same. That's powerful. Um, When... Losing a father is, losing any family member is traumatic, especially the, uh, the individual that you look up to, the individual that, and when I was younger, it was who I set my sights on being like, who I set my sights on my action following. Um, my dad sounds like similar to, to how yours was, servant leadership. Yeah. That's what it was. It was all about the other person. Let me go ahead and drain the bank account and fix somebody else's house and ask nothing in return <laughs> under no guise other than let me shake your hand and thank you for being here. Yeah. What? It's, it's very interesting to hear that, uh, that there's, there's other people very similar to my father that, uh, that were out there that lived completely different lives with completely different people. Um, how did, outside of your book, yeah. And then that starting the, the world tour, uh, the 52 and 52. How did the death of your father at, at that age of 33 change your trajectory? Yeah, and, and it was interesting because I've always, I've always projected wow, right? I, I, it's my life motto. I think it's a great motto to live by. I want people to, I want to inject that into others. But it was, it was interesting. Um, so one of the opportunities we had through the consulting company that I did was uh, partner with Chick-fil-A on a lot of events uh, across the U.S. into big crowds. And I got to, but I always had the same speech, same canned speech, same wow speech, same whatever speech. 
Is that that speech that you, you get yeah, to yeah, yeah. board of directors yeah, every year? Like, yeah, every, I get to say, uh, you know, you know talk, what? Yeah, the, talk yeah, the, with t- your hand, yeah, da 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 And I'll give my friend Kevin Scott credit. He's like, you know what? He's like, you know that speech. You can give that speech, but you just went through something that, that at some level affects all of us, which is death and dying and, and humanity and people. He's like... He's like, you know, I'm one of your closest friends. He's like, I think the next opportunity you get, he's like, and, and don't try to make it pop perfect or polished or three points, one theme, start strong and on emotion. You know how to do all that. Like you teach public speaking to others for a living. Just talk, just, just raw and real and honest. And it sucks and it hurts. And here's what I went through. And like, and I, and I was like, are you out of your mind? No way. And then he was like, I, I would just encourage you to do it. Like at some point, it's, he's like, you can either write and it's therapeutic, you can speak and it's therapeutic, you can go to a therapist and that's therapeutic, but you got to get it out, man. I was like, okay. And I, I remember, I remember I, I stood at this event and I was like, this is, this is, this is insane. And I was like, I'm just going to tell the story. I was like, I'm not sure what the point of this one's going to be, <laughs> but, I, but you're all here. Thank you for coming to my <laughs> TED talk. Right. <laughs> And I just shared. I was like, I remember when, you know, uh, walking turned into a walker and a walker turned into a wheelchair and getting my dad out of bed and give him a shave in the mirror became like the big win for the day. Like I remember taking him to Cuba and pulling him off chemo and having that conversation and like, what's your greatest accomplishment and who would you be proud to live in your legacy? And, and I'm just like talking and it's like, like something's happening and I'm just sharing and like, I feel like I almost like fainted. Like, what did I say? Did any of that make sense? And I've never had more people connect and relate to a speech than I did in that moment. Where it's like, traveling to every country of the world, cool. <laughs> no one has a damn clue what that means, right? Like, writing a book, cool. Like, eh. Losing someone you care about, that's real. Like, we've lost a family member, a brother, an aunt, an uncle, a sister, a best friend, a neighbor, someone from school. Like, we've all felt that. And it made me realize, like, I think, back to your question, it's like, there is such humanity in vulnerability. Like, there is such humanity in vulnerability. And I never wanted to go there. I always wanted to shy away from vulnerability and lead with wow. And I, and I became good at it. I had my talking points. I knew my stories. I knew my travel. But I found that like, wow is great. And wow may even get you on a stage. May even get people to like, you know, remember a few talking points because they're so outrageous and crazy. But vulnerability, that connects on a human level. And if you really want to connect with somebody, it's like be, be okay with opening up about like kind of the, the, the wounds in your, in your, in your battle scars because chances are that people have those same wounds and those same battle scars. But it just takes someone to go first. And I think that's probably what I learned most from going through that period of time with my dad is that other people just need someone to say it out loud first that they've been through it. And, uh, and it opens up a whole, a whole different type of dialogue with someone that you may never even realized. Hmm. I just gotta let it breathe. <laughs> yeah. 
I too, for years, uh, not even months, not even weeks, for years, I gave a, uh, a eulogy to a friend of mine that passed in high school um, about six months after my dad died. And not until that day, I want to talk about vulnerability, not until that day did I shed a tear for my dad dying. And I was the last one to touch him, mm. sitting in a hospice bed, in our living room. He took his last breath in front of me. Not until that day, because there was collective suffering with a close friend of ours, and I had to be the strong man up on stage giving a eulogy for a friend of mine that drowned in a hot tub. Mm. Not until that day did I really lead with any vulnerability, and it was like that for three to six months, and then pulled myself back, and it wasn't until, I believe, uh, Savon and I had a conversation in, what was that, 17, 18? In your uh, in your place in Athens, yeah, over by um, yeah down in East, <laughs> we really we really got into it, and it opened it opened some things back up. Uh, it opened up my mind to how vulnerability, just like you're saying, can can change others. Can not necessarily change. That's not the right. That's imprecise language. How it can allow others to be open to connecting. Yeah, yeah. it and can it- bridge community. Regardless of race, gender, age, experiences, there are shared experiences. This Not. existence is a shared experience. Us sitting in this room is a shared. There's many things that have that, that seem personally anecdotal in all of our lives, but I'm sure that we've all felt similar emotions yeah. that we can uh, we can kind of collectively feel. And I don't really know where I was going with that, <laughs> but, but it's true. Or just. Yeah, I mean, powerful. That was kind of my point about sometimes you just gotta let, let it, it breathe, breathe. because <laughs> so much in life, even on a podcast, oh, we gotta go from great point, great point, great point. It's like no, sometimes it's like let's just really appreciate what what we're discussing and the mm-hmm. gravity. And I didn't lose my father, but I lost my sister when I was in high school. And so you, you know, to see my dad lose his firstborn child, you know, prematurely, that was one of the first times. And I'd lost a great grandfather, you know, but mm-hmm. the patterns of life you kind of expect. That right. certain things will happen and um, how people respond after an event like that you know I was going through a, a pretty dark period a few months ago and, and I spoke to James because it was around the anniversary or I think it was his dad's birthday or the anniversary of his passing and um, so that same week I, I was struggling I had a moment where I had to stop for a second and say you know in life with problems or issues there's life and death and then there's other yeah yeah man so true that's right. And isn't it funny, like the one connection point that we all like dad, dad, sister through the father, like, like that's real, man. Father, father, father. Right. Archetype. Yeah. It's here. Yeah. And so it's like, it's, it's real and it, and it hurts and it stings and we're guys and we don't really know how to express our emotions. We're and men. We can't we're, talk yeah, about we're, this. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but we are. And it's like the one thing that like, we all three kind of got quiet at the same time. It's just like, man, that's just real. Like, it's real, you know? Yeah. You know? It's true, though. There is power and vulnerability. There is. Uh, and I, I think that we've seen going into, um, going into many things on the podcast thus far, and we haven't really released anywhere close to anywhere what we have <laughs> in the backlog. But it's coming out, and already people are, wow, you're on it. You, you deal with that. You, that happens. It's very easy, just like you said, to be polished, pointed, 
the precise language and, oh, we can just roll it back and we'll run another take, right, you know, because right. we don't want anyone to see any kind of imperfection <laughs> because that's what we're selling ourselves as. That's what we're, we're speaking as. That's what we're going to come in and consult as. Right. But I think it's, I think it's interesting when you kind of pull that layer back a little bit uh, and you look at, well, everyone that's at the highest level, that's truly, truly leading by example, has that layer and maybe not complete vulnerability with everything, mm -hmm. But they are vulnerable or you really wouldn't be connecting with them. Totally. Yeah. Have you noticed a change over the last few decades? Because I, I would argue that part of it has been the culture by and large is becoming a lot more receptive and empathetic. You know, some people, I had a conversation the other day with a friend, Brazilian. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and she thought the opposite. But I have noticed it seems collectively there's being more space allowed for people to kind of take that armor off in yeah. public. And that's what people are connecting more with. And now the people who keep that armor on and maintain it for too long, they're losing their ability to connect. It's almost right. like if we only wore gloves all the time, <laughs> you would never feel anything in your hands. Right, right, right. You know, but once you take that glove off, you can really feel the dirt in your nails and all of that other stuff that you can actually feel. So have you noticed in your trajectory just it be more acceptable for you to be more vulnerable, more transparent with people? Just how is that evolved? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in, in society and culture, you know, we, we like our heroes broken, right? Like if someone's too perfect, I have no way to relate to them. So it's like the movies are always like the underdog who succeeds. It's not the winner who wins and wins and wins. And wins. it's like, I hate that movie. Like, I don't want to, I don't like that person or I don't like that, you know? But, but even for me, I think that, you know, it was kind of, you know, trajectories going up and to the right. And then it, everything just fell apart with my father. I was lost, I was broken, I didn't know what to do. And when I share that part of the story, that's the connection point with everybody. I'm like, this, that doesn't make sense, but it does make sense, right? Like, because we've all been hurt, we've all been broken, we've all been lost, like we've all faced fear, we've all had insecurity, we've all had an imposter syndrome. I'm just willing to talk about it more often, right? So it's like, well, I wrote a book on all these fears, and in the book, I talk about how I had every single one of those fears because I was like, I'd just rather be vulnerable and say, hey, read the book. Yeah, it's cool to write a book, but at least this guy faced everything that I'm in my life facing, whichever one of these that I'm reading this book for. So I think uh, it, it's not easy to do it, uh, and you probably don't even want to do it, but when you do do it, it, it creates a stronger bond or connection um, when you're vulnerable, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, with that same token, other than traveling, Right. Yeah. What have you found is a good practice or hobby or just routine for yourself that you can kind of get in your zone that you need to? Because especially somebody who's often gone from their home, which yeah. is most people's ground zero. Yeah. What do you do to always be able to, to get into the headspace or the focus of the, the, the emotional space, whatever you want to call it, yep. that you need? I call it every Sunday. Just hashtag every Sunday. I, I'm not one of these guys who has a five minute routine and a 75 minute workout and a 45 minute, too much for me. I'm not that smart. All I can commit to is, and I learned it from a buddy from business school. He just said, hey, all I want you to do is wake up one hour early on Sunday. Take your journal and then hold yourself accountable by literally taking a picture of your journal, wherever it's at. It could be with you with some cereal. It could be you staring out the window. It could be you in the kitchen. Take a picture of your journal and post it. And just hashtag every Sunday. As a reminder that every Sunday, for at least one hour, I'm going to get some clarity. 
and I'm just gonna write down kind of like my goals, what I'm really going for, what I really wanna do, like what would really make a great week, what I'm really thankful for. And you don't even have to know what you're gonna write when you start, but just the practice of writing it down, right? I think they said with goals, you're actually 42% more likely to accomplish a goal if you write it down. I'm like, what? Like, that's it? That's, that you're telling me like, <laughs> I have a 42% better chance just writing it down, just the act, because it actually hardwires our brain to like see the goal, think about the goal, like intangibly, like always have the goal in the back of our mind. And if you do it every week over and over and over and over, there's something where it's like it feeds that energy that you put out and, and like seeking it in the world around us. Yeah. So that, that's my only thing I'm good at. Like I'm not that good at many things, but every Sunday, for one hour, I can do it. And that's a good on-ramp, I think, for anybody listening. They're like, all right, I could probably give one hour a week mm -hmm. on Sunday and snap a picture of my journal as just a reminder. Even if you don't post it, keep it in your camera roll. Yeah. And like, try to do it every single week. How long have you been doing that for? Oh gosh, so 2015, so 20 to, uh, about six years now. Mm. Yeah. So I, I learned about it in 2015. I was like, that's so cool. And then the guy that taught me about it, he. He dreams way bigger than I do. He's like, I really want a plane. I really want a plane. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, like a, like a gold like stream? Like, yeah, like, like every time, like a helicopter thing or like a gold stream. Yeah. And, uh, and that was this thing. He's like, I wrote it. He said, he wrote it down for probably 10 years and he ended up having a company that got bought out by, I think like, you know, BlackRock or Blackstone or one of these mm -hmm. like VC companies and then blah, blah, blah. He's head, da, 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 da. Guy ends up buying a plane. I'm like, 42% chance I get a plane if I write this down? I'm writing that down too. I need to add that to my goals. Way easier to travel these days. I know, right? I should have thought of that as long ago. But one simple practice every Sunday. I like that that's simple because um, especially in, you know, kind of the improvement space where people want to guide their life, right. so often it becomes now this addiction yeah. to, oh, all, if I do all these different things and I do this and I do this ritual, nah, 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 but that's going to be what improves your life when it's like, all right, well, if there's only 24 hours in a day and you're spending four or five hours a day doing all this shit that you think is going to, you know, lead to right. something. So I, I love that you keep it that simple and you've been able to get so much done and you don't have some convoluted multi-signature step no. process nope. to nope. staying focused. <laughs> not, not at all. <laughs> not at all. That's interesting. Uh, Let's talk about the pragmatic application of your 10 seconds of insane courage. Yep. Okay. So I did a little bit of math and I'm sure no one has ever done this for you. <laughs> okay. Ever. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> 10 seconds of insane courage every day gives you 8,640 chances a day which is 60,480 chances a week, which is 3,144,960 chances a year, and over a decade, 31,449,600 chances for 10 seconds of insane courage a decade. If that is the case, okay, if that is the case, how do you pragmatically apply these 10 seconds? You have that many chances. Is that not overwhelming? Well, when you say it like Goodwill Hunting, it is. <laughs> By the way, I love the research that you guys do for this podcast. I think it's amazing. The questions are sharp, things I've never been asked. Uh, obviously, statistics like that, I've never, uh, no one's ever calculated. Um, but I, I think that, you know, whether it's the, the over 30 million opportunities of 10 seconds at a time or just 10 seconds, I think that life comes down to moments. And I would just say in the moment, again, because I, I like to keep things simple, it's you have one of two options. You can choose courage or comfort. 
And in that 10 seconds, I hope you just choose courage. Like, what's the courageous choice? What's the courageous path? What's the courageous decision? What's, I don't want to do it. No one wants to do it. That's why it's called courage, right? Because it faces fear and it's in, in, in the face of fear, you choose courage anyways. And I would just say, you know, whether it's your first attempt at the 10 seconds or your 30 millionth attempt or your 30,000th attempt, try to choose courage as often as possible because that's where the good stuff lies, right? Like the most days we don't remember. Most moments we don't remember. Most years we don't remember. Most courageous decisions, now we remember those, right? And so I think that, like you said, if it's your 10th or your 30 millionth, in the moment, just sit there and say, courage or comfort, courage or comfort. Choose courage. In choosing courage, I think it's uh, maybe safe to say, and I think that, uh, that Savon and I have gone depths on personal responsibility. If you choose courage, mm -hmm. if you choose a choice, because everything in life really is a choice, unless you're incarcerated, yep. incapacitated, <laughs> uh, or not able to, uh, to make your own decisions, yep. you have the choice mm -hmm. of courage or fear, yep. um, or courage or comfort, excuse me. And if you go down that, at what point is your life 100% the responsibility of you? I think it's always the responsibility of ourselves. I, I, I'm very, you know, big into, you know, I mean, whether your readers like it or not, I think fucking David Goggins is the man. Like, take, <laughs> like, take ownership. Like, like who's going to, you know, who's going to carry the boats? Like, <laughs> let's go. Like personal responsibility, yeah. like extreme ownership. Like I'm clearly not a Navy SEAL. <laughs> Obviously, I couldn't even make the damn golf team. <laughs> but I believe in it, and I believe it's true, and I wish I was as hard as those dudes, but I like how fierce they are, and I like how much they just extreme ownership, personal responsibility, stay hard. Like I believe in that, and here's the deal. It's like... Goggins wasn't able to do, you know, 25,000 push-ups in a you know, day or whatever he did, but he started somewhere and he said, you know, I'm tired of being fat. I'm tired of not being able to run a mile. Now he runs ultra marathons. I'm tired of not being able to, you know, pick up these weights. I'm tired of looking at myself in the mirror and being embarrassed. Like I'm tired. And what did he do? He did something about it, you know? It's like Tony Robbins, I'm tired of being poor. I'm tired of having nothing. I'm tired of not knowing where the next meal is going to come. Now he delivers billions of meals for other people and has an entire program because of like developing his leadership skills to then become like the great, you know, motivational speaker, personal development guy. And he uses part of that money to feed other people. Like we all have a chip on our shoulders, all of us. But like, damn it, take ownership of it and like do something about it. You want to make yourself better? Wake up earlier. Like, Go to the gym, get healthier, read a book, watch a podcast, like ask a friend for some advice, like ask someone for coffee, ask someone for three coffees, take 10 seconds of insane courage, do 30 million different 10 seconds of insane courage. Like at some point you're going to get some momentum. My thing is in the book, I talk about the fear of the first step. That's what holds us back. It's the fear of the first step. And if we really want to go granular further in the book, I say the fear of the first step is not that you don't know how to do it. You're afraid of what other people are going to think. And so if we even go more granular than that, I say, give yourself permission to be awful. Like, let's just start there. You know what? My first podcast is going to be awful. 
My first, you know, uh, YouTube video, gonna be pretty awful. My first book, awful. My first country I went to, pretty terrible. Like, like everything I've done, been awful. Like first year hero, pretty awful. You know, first year, like, you know, philanthropy when we're starting this, the Hero Olympics, awful. Like, <laughs> but 18 years later, we're pretty damn good. Like, we're really good now. It's gonna be hard to beat us because we were willing to be awful. And, and I just say, hey, man, like, Wherever you're at, if you're going to start something, you're going to have the fear of the first step. You're going to wonder and worry about what other people are going to think. Why don't you just give yourself permission to be awful and start with that? And it gives people this like, okay, you know what? Like now I'll take extreme ownership. Now I'll try to stay hard because I'm going to go to the gym and I'm not going to know how to do this stuff, but I'm going to start and I'm going to be awful and I'm going to get a little bit better. And in my book, that's what I talk about. It's, it's taking those 10 seconds at a time of, I'm going to start, I'm going to get made fun of, I'm giving myself permission to be awful, and I'm going to get better. Over and over and over and over, and eventually you do. And that's, to me, like, that's the good stuff. Permission to be awful and daring to fail, <laughs> day in, day out. <laughs> Beams. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting that dare to fail is something that I, I hammer into our, our group of guys, but it's... It's so funny linguistically, though, when you really break it down, because that's saying very similar what you're saying. Yeah. It's just a different way of, you know, just a different way of talking about it. Right. Just as collective experience, just as we have collective experiences, is, is also so interesting that we have things that are cornerstone to our <laughs> life that are just said differently. Yeah. It's pretty much the exact same idea. That's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. But I love it. <laughs> Definitely. Well, we want to be respectful of your time. Thank you. And uh, thank you so much for, for stopping by and gracing us with uh, with the wisdom and the perspective. Uh -huh. Is there anything else you want to you want to let the people know or, or speak on before we let you get out of here? I just say, uh, be willing to be awful in 2021. 2020 was already a train wreck. So guess what? <laughs> like almost nothing can be worse than that, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're hearing this podcast and it's 2021, give yourself a little bit of grace and space uh, to be awful at something, to get better down the road, to be great at it in the future. So I think your future self will thank you for it if you start today. Garrett, really appreciate you coming out. Um, I'm glad that we could have you on and uh, I'm glad that we can make it work with the schedules and I cannot wait to see you finish this, uh, this world <laughs> tour here. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, you know, you're, uh, we're always here if you need anything. Awesome. The two of us and, and anyone else. Appreciate it. Let people know where they can find everything you got coming out. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah thank you so much. So uh, Instagram GG worldwide. So the letters GG worldwide. You can follow the tour. Just launched a brand new website, uh, free resources, leadership lessons, inside tips on every country in the world, uh, how to get there, how to do it, and how to do it cheaply. Um, it's GarrettGravison.com. Again, we'll put it in the video, GarrettGravison.com. Lots, lots of free resources and uh, lots of fun and lots of wow, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Excellent. Well, thank you again for your time, Gary. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you.